Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Um, so today we're going to talk about something that I, I think kind of strikes a chord in all of us. I think we have, uh, all have experienced um, what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the topic of inadequacy, feeling inadequate, and fulfillment. Like we all want to be fulfilled, and there's many times in our life where we feel inadequate. And throughout my life, um, I've often felt inadequate. I've often felt like I've been put in situations where I felt in over my head, and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I wondered, God, why do you even have me here uh, in the first place? I don't know if you can relate to that, but I want to I explain what I mean by sharing with you an email that I wrote 14 years ago. Um, I was in my last semester at college, and I was just starting to hit the job trail. And uh, I was a speech communications major in college, which means, oh yeah, I can do anything, but really you can do nothing. Um, <laughs> And so I went to this job fair and I felt overwhelmed by all the possibilities. I, I you know, all the different things I could, I could see myself getting into. And uh, I ran across this booth. There was a company that sold German beechwood. Okay. Oh, something's going on downstairs, sounds like. Uh, and the, the guy at the booth was named Doug. He was a really, really nice guy and talking to me about German Beechwood. And I, I tried to pretend like I was really interested, you know, because I was kind of interested. And I also had heard that, um, you know, if, if you apply for this job, if you get this job, you get to travel to Germany twice a year. So I was like, that's, that's pretty good, pretty good deal. And, but the problem was I knew nothing about wood. I didn't even know that there was a difference between hardwood and softwood. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. Some of you are like, what's that? No. Uh, but it was all wood to me. And um, I had no idea, like, manufacturing with wood. I'd never seen a lathe before. I'd never, you know, I'd never done woodworking. I didn't really know anything. And so here I was, I was trying to sell myself to this company um, based on looks alone. And that was a really hard thing. Um, but I was a little desperate. I'd been gotten married the summer before, and I was leaving college, and I knew that like six months after you leave college, you have to start paying for college. And so I was a little nervous about that. And so anyways, I want to read you this email I sent to Doug, because uh, hopefully you can see that I really, I was in over my head. I didn't know what I was talking about. And everything I wrote came straight out of my professional writing course, okay? So, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this. April 10th, 2006, Dear Mr. Martin, I'm very interested in the job opening with Paul Meyer. I have reviewed the company's information packet and was greatly impressed by Paul Meyer's innovative spirit and potential for growth. 22. Um, the company's professional and friendly attitude is very appealing and confirms my deep appreciation for the lumber industry. <laughs> Also, I very much enjoyed the interview last Thursday and feel that I would be a major contributor to your team. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Sincerely, Tyler Mitchell. That was straight out of professional writing. Um, I knew these cool phrases like greatly impressed, innovative spirit. Um, I remember when I showed my dad this email, he laughed out loud like you guys did uh, when I got to the deep appreciation for the lumber industry. It's hard to deeply appreciate something you don't know anything about. 
Um, so I had seen trees before, okay? That's about the extent of it. And I still got an interview, which is a crazy thing. They still interviewed me. It did not go well. I did not get the job. I did not get to go to Germany. Um, <laughs> but, but I think we all have times where we feel in over our head. Like, what are we doing? Um, you know, I didn't know anything about having a real job or, or about this industry I was applying for. So sometimes I feel like, you know, we try to pose when we're in that situation. Like, oh yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Like, I, I want people to see potential in me. But I wonder if we ever feel inadequate when we come to our relationship with God. You know, if we ever feel inadequate before God, like we're posing. Uh, like we don't really know what we're doing or what God really wants us to do. And sometimes I think our inadequacies hold us back um, from pursuing the things that God wants us to pursue, from pursuing, you know, maybe we feel like it, it prevents us from, from pursuing something great that God has for us. It's hard to not focus our, on our inadequacies when it comes to God, because like we talked about this morning, like God is perfect in everything he does. Of course we're going to feel inadequate before God. God is perfect in love, perfect in what he does, perfect in holiness, perfect in all these different ways. So when we compare ourselves to a holy God, we're always falling short. We're always falling short. And so maybe we look at that and we say, man, look at, look at how much of my life is still messed up. There's no way God could use me. Look at how much I don't know or, or what I'm not doing right now. There's no way God could use me. Look at how much time I've wasted in life already. There's no way God could use me. And I think we get self-defeated sometimes, thinking that God can't use us. But here's the question we're going to wrestle with today. What do we do with that? What do we do with that when we feel inadequate? What should we do with those feelings? And over the last four weeks, we've been talking through this, this idea in the Bible of refuge that uh, it's clear in the Bible that God wants to be our refuge. Over and over again in the Bible, there's this word refuge. It's ma'oz, and it means mountain stronghold. That God wants to be the stronghold that we run into, and we find our safety, we find our protection. No matter what we're in, no matter what kind of trouble we're in, God wants to surround us with his love and protection. And so talking about refuge is that idea that I'm always home with God. I'm always home with God. God always wants to, has a place waiting for me to go to. And hopefully you know by now that that refuge, it, it's not dependent on, on what you do or your performance. It's just the fact that God wants to be with you. Spending time with God is actually where we get our strength to do the things that he wants us to do. It's only when we spend time with God, it's only when we find our life by hiding in him. And so today we're going to end the series by looking at Psalm 138. And Psalm 138, it's not an arbitrary psalm to me. This psalm is, was very meaningful in, in my own life. So just, just know I didn't randomly f flip through all 150 songs and psalms and be like, all right, this one, this one, and this one. Like, they're, they're meaningful. And this one, um, God actually used to speak to me during a season where I felt really inadequate. Um, it was so impactful that I actually wrote the date down in my Bible after reading this psalm. Like, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to remember when, when God encouraged me when I was going through a difficult season. The date was July 28th, 2016. 
and it was in the middle, I was in the middle of running the Ray of Hope camp, which if you don't know about Ray, uh, the Ray of Hope camp, it's where, it, you know, we have about 100 um, kids, um, more higher on the behavior scale, so it can get a little crazy uh, in the, in this camp, and um, but, but that wasn't the, the difficult part. The difficult part was everything we had like set up felt like it was falling apart. Um, we were hosting it at this school and the school didn't tell us they were going to have like major construction projects over the summer. And so we've got kids running around next to excavators and we're like, can we just put a fence up, you know, and, and going back and forth on that. And um, we had staff problems. We had a, a, a major... Um, one of our key people quit like right at the beginning and we were just scrambling, scrambling, scrambling. And so I was just exhausted. I was just discouraged. And it felt like every day was a fight to survive. And I was like, God, I don't know what to do here. What am I supposed to do? And so one morning I opened to Psalm 138 and um, Psalm 138, it's another Psalm of David. And the thing is, it doesn't find David in a desperate situation like the Psalms that we've read in prior weeks. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. Like David would actually read this to his people in praise and worship. It was a song they actually sang together, much like the songs that we sing. Uh, but what I experienced in reading this psalm is that God used it to change my focus. My focus was all on my weakness, my inability, like my... Um, what, what I didn't know, and God used it to show me a bigger picture of what he was doing. So I want to start, we're going to look at the first two verses. It says this, it says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And so David starts with one of the imperatives of the Christian life. Like, this is really one of the, the secrets of the Christian life. Like, if you want to know, okay, what needs to change in my life? Um, it starts with this idea that we can't just give God thanks during the good times. We also have to give him thanks during the bad times. We also have to worship him and praise him, not just when we get together for our public gatherings, but in the morning. In the, in the difficult daily grind of our lives, like we've got to take time to praise God. We don't wait just once a year to say thanks to God when a national holiday rolls around. We live lives of thanksgiving. Like even in the worst situations, we give thanks to God. And we do that because that's when our faith becomes real. That's when we believe that God is at work even when we can't see him at work. Even when we don't know what's going to change or how we're going to survive. Um, faith becomes real when we can trust God despite how we feel. Um, despite how insecure we feel, we can start by praising God. And David opens this psalm by saying, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. That phrase, whole heart, always gets my attention. Like, I'm going to praise you, God, but I'm going to praise you with my whole heart. I'm going to have one focus. The idea of loving God and God alone, um, having your whole heart, it's all throughout Scripture. I mean, it's the greatest commandment, right? Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your heart, all your might, all your strength, that word all over and over and over again. And, and we see this, that God wants us to bring our whole heart to them, to him. And uh, 
Notice what David brings up that might challenge that focus. He says, before the gods, I will sing your praise. It's like, I'm going to praise you alone, and in order to do that, I'm going to choose to praise you over all these other things in my life or, or things that I could chase that, that aren't worthy of my praise. You know, so above all the gods. So he's not talking about, like, other celestial beings or things like that that God has to compete with. Uh, we know God, there's only one God. So um, what he's talking about is the gods that we make in our lives, the things that we serve in our lives. Um, in my quad this week, we talked about idols. You know, I asked a question, you know, because it's something I wrestle with. How do you know when something goes from being an interest to being an idol in your life? How do you know when, you know, like, you're, you're really excited and, and, and passionate about board games, you know, or something like that? When does that interest become an idol? I think that's a good question. When do, when do the things that we like become things that we can't live without? Because I'm guess, guessing most of us aren't tempted to whittle something out of wood and put it on our mantle and worship it, right? But we still struggle with idolatry. And so um, what are we giving our heart to? Think about the things that split your attention from God, that like divert your attention from God. These are things we all encounter these things. That's why it was the second commandment. You know, you should have no other gods before me. We all have things that pull our attention away from God. In fact, I'd be really suspicious if you came into church today and you're like, yeah, I never struggle with taking my focus off God, you know. I'm great, you know. Me and God are good. Like, no one would believe you. Um, but I wonder if that's part of the reason we feel inadequate. Sometimes when we just start getting traction with God, there's like an idol that slips in and takes our attention away. You know, and then, and then we feel like, man, God can't use me because this happened again. You know, what are those things? I think it's important to identify those things because they're always changing. Those things in our lives that, that take our attention away from God are always changing. Um, you know, they could be anything. It could be our entertainment, our cars, our homes. Um, you know, maybe sports and getting into all the hype of sports. It could be even kind of resting in our own intellect, our own opinions. You know, we can impulsively go from distracting th to that distracting thing and, and just pull us away from worship of God. And so David is like, I have to make a choice. You know, I have to make a choice to worship. So this is almost like I've got to choose to worship God because if I don't, I'll end up worshiping these other things. So I'm going to choose to worship God. That's how I'm going to combat the idolatry in my life is I'm going to choose to worship him first. It's not not doing something. It's about changing the focus of your worship. So he makes that deliberate choice. Instead, I will worship. And guys, that might be something that we have to do again and again and again. I feel like duplicity is, is one thing that we have to constantly weed out. Like if we're going to be disciples, we have to weed out anything that we're tempted to worship in competition with God. And that's called duplicity. You know, are we worshiping God in one environment, and then are we worshiping other things when we get out of that environment? Is what you worship at church the same thing you worship at home? You know, these are the questions that we have to wrestle with. If there's a break in that, that's when we need to repent and say, God, I give you this. Like, I can't worship both things. How can I be kingdom-focused, the kingdom of God? How can I be focused on the kingdom of God at home and at work and wherever I go? 
because I still struggle with duplicity today, but I struggle with it less than I did years ago because God's been working on my life, and I've surrendered things to him. So it's, it's a process. I don't think you flip a switch and you're there, um, but we just need to continue to repent. Whenever duplicity shows up in our lives, how can we, uh, how can we give it to God? So David says, I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. You know, David's saying, man, I've given my heart to so many different things in my life, and yet you're the only constant. Like, it's your love that's always constant, that's always been there for me. It's your faithfulness that's constant, that's always been there for me, that never changes. Those things don't change. And so, David makes the choice to bow down. Like, it's God's glory. It's the only thing that's going to last. He makes the choice to bow down because it's God's glory and his name, he says, that will always matter. It's that that will always matter. It's God's glory and God's name that will stand forever. Our glory is temporary. Our glory is temporary. We could be gone in a moment, and our glory would be gone. But if we put our focus, put our hope, put our trust on God, that is what will last forever. So, are we, is that what we're making the focus? God's glory. David says something amazing in verse 3. He says, uh, On the day I called, you answered me, and my strength of soul you increased. I find that really fascinating because last week we talked about waiting for God. That if, we're gonna, if God's going to be our refuge, that means we have to wait on him sometimes. We have to wait for him to answer our prayers. But you see that David called on the Lord and there was like an immediate, God provided something immediate for him. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't changing his circumstances. It was making his soul stronger. You know, it's God, was, God was making him stronger to face the situation he was in. You know, there are times when God, or when David couldn't wait for God to show up. He needed God right in that moment. Uh, you might remember there's a story somewhere in the Bible about David fighting a guy who's a little bit bigger than him. Um, Goliath, I think, was his name. You might remember that. But isn't that like the ultimate picture of inadequacy? David versus Goliath. Nine foot six guy versus a 12 year old boy. Like that is the picture of inadequacy. David understands inadequacy. David had inadequate height, he had inadequate muscles. Um, he had probably an inadequate voice. You could imagine his voice cracking as he's like telling Goliath, what's up? I come in the name of the Lord. <laughs> you could just, I could hear it, you know? There was nothing about that situation where David could feel secure or adequate. Um, yeah. You know, when David was facing Goliath, he couldn't call time out and be like, all right, I just need a couple minutes, gee, if we could. We could just need to pray for a minute. He was in the heat of it, and so he called on the name of the Lord, and, the, and God strengthened him in that moment. He called on the name of the Lord, and God strengthened him. That's what changed. David didn't grow five feet. Um, David, his uh, circumstances didn't change. Um, God didn't put David in a tank all of a sudden. I mean, God, God uh, didn't make Goliath vanish. Like, he just strengthened David in that moment to take down the giant. 
So what changed was the strength of David's soul. My strength of soul you increased. You know, when we feel inadequate for the task at hand or the situation we find ourselves in, maybe there is an immediate answer to our prayer. But maybe that immediate answer to our prayer when we, when we get before God is that he would strengthen our soul. That he would make us resolved in the situation we're in. That he would give us life to get through it before the circumstances change. And I think this is what we learn from David's life. This is one of the, the points this morning. God prefers to use people who feel inadequate. He actually does. Like if you read scripture, he actually likes to use people who feel inadequate. Instead of focusing on his own weakness, David focused on God's strength. And that's the change. He, David wasn't worried about the fact that he was 12 and his, his voice was cracking. Like he was, he was focused on God's strength. And God wanted to show how powerful and glorious he is through things that don't make sense to us. It's not our strength, it's God's strength. And so God would choose to use people who learn to rely on his power. And there's so many stories in scripture that follow this thread. There's Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, um, all the disciples. God uses people who have pasts, who have struggles, who have fears, who have failures, who have obvious weaknesses. He uses them for his kingdom. And what is it that all those people had in common? One word, humility. Like, that's what they had. That's the one thing that they had in common was humility. God wants to use people who are humble and teachable, who are willing to lay down their pride and trust him with their whole heart. That takes humility. Trusting God with your whole heart means saying, like, I, your ways are above my ways. Like, you've got to surrender your ways, your thinking to God. So David uh, continues, and he says, on this track of humility, he says, All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for, the, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty, or the proud, he knows from afar. I think that key is that last verse. God regards, he knows, he's in relationship with the lowly, with the humble, but those who are proud, he knows from a distance. Um, so it is humility. And sometimes it's humble, to st it's, uh, humility is, is uh, being willing to stay under God's authority, even when it doesn't make sense. I, I found this article this week about this... Um, New, they're always making new words to describe things. You know this, right? Um, you guys, have you guys heard of FOMO before? Fear of missing out. Do you know there's a brother to FOMO? It's FOBO, okay? Fear of a better option. It, so the person who invented FOMO 15 years ago is like, okay, now I think what I'm getting at is we, ha we live in fear of a better option. That, man, if life is tough right now, if we're stuck in it, then our head immediately goes to, where else could I be? You know, or what else could I be doing? Or how fast can I get out of this thing? And so he coins this phrase, phobo. And um, I think we do. I think we live in a culture that has trouble staying when things are tough. Staying in the fight. 
I mean, I think you, you see this, you probably have heard the, the phrase like consumer church and the idea like, well, if church isn't going well over here, I'll just hop over here. And if that's not going well, I'll just, you know, hop, 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 hop. And the idea is like, what else is out there? What else could I be experiencing instead of being present, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult? Um, you know, whether it's a job or a community or, or a city or um, a ministry that you've served in for years and you're like, I, mean, I don't know, God, what do you want me to do? Or people, you know, like people that you've been reaching out to, discipling, connecting with for years, like, I don't know if I want to keep going here. You know, sometimes we can look around and see what, you know, what's the most immediate option to avoid pain? You know, maybe we want to change our surroundings when our surroundings is what God could actually be using to change us in, in the fight, in the battle. And of course, there are times when God says go. God, God moves people around. God does that. He tells us to go. He sends us out. He sends us to different places. And, and um, you know, the, he opens doors for us to walk through. But the difference is relying on him. Is he telling us? Is he calling us? You know, God being our refuge, the, the, the point is that God being our refuge means he's at work wherever we are, uh, however we feel in the moment. I want to look at that in, in the conclusion of the psalm. He says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. And then this is key. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. I mean, that's where the, the, David really brings it home. He says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. If I just trust him, he will fulfill his purpose for me. That's what we can rest in. No matter where we're at, no matter, no matter how tough things are, like we can rest in that, that God is fulfilling his work if we trust him. Um, Sometimes we do feel overwhelmed, and that's when we need to hold on to this, uh, this the most. If we feel like we're in a situation where we don't know what to do, we can trust that God will fulfill his purpose for us when we trust him. And what I like about this passage is it kind of sums up the series that we've been through, that God will preserve us even when we're in the middle of trouble. He'll sustain us. God is the one who judges our enemies, so we can focus on mercy and it's only God that can save us. And now David adds, God will fulfill his purpose for us. It's what we can rest in. So we don't have to live with FOBO. And I tried to think of a new acronym, and it did not work this week. So, uh, um, But yeah, if, uh, you know, if we trust God, we can be confident that he will fulfill his purpose for us. Um, and here's the, here's the point this morning. Inadequacy, inadequacy fades when you trust that God is working in your life. Inadequacy will fade from your life when you trust that God is working in your life, when you really trust him, when you really make him the thing, when he becomes what you pursue, you can count that God is at work in your life, that God has an individual calling on your life that he's working to accomplish. It's when we reject God or when we divert our eyes somewhere else or do something else, that's when we get in the way. But if God is our source of refuge, then we can trust that he's making something beautiful out of our lives. You know, and I think about beauty, and the idea of beauty is that there's, 
there's always tension in something that's beautiful, you know? You, you never watch a movie without any tension and be like, man, that was a real tearjerker, you know? There's always pain in, in beautiful stories, but uh, when we trust God, we know that he uses that pain. And this is the thing, because we trust, we know. Because we trust, we know that God is always at work. And this is what we can be confident and know when we're trusting God. That God will accomplish his purpose for our lives. That God's love isn't going away and that God won't stop what he started. That's all over scripture. And sometimes we feel like God's abandoned us and he's left us out in the cold, but he won't stop what he started. We just need to remain faithful. Um, Ben can come on up. We're going to I just want to close with a, with a little story. Um, years ago, I, I went to London, and one of the places I, I visited in London was this cemetery called uh, Bunhill Fields, and they had a lot of famous authors and, and, and uh, um, composers, and one of the graves I saw there was the grave of Susanna Wesley, and uh, I noticed this one because it said she was the mother of 19 children. <laughs> All the moms are like, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, I mean, that in itself. That's, but she was the mother of 19 children, and, and I didn't really know about her life until later on, but, um, you know, her life was, in, on top of the, the feat alone of raising 19 kids, um, it was just really tough. Like, uh, she had a husband that was very hard to deal with. Um, he went to jail twice. Uh, they were constantly living in poverty and debt. Uh, he actually left, left her and the kids for a year, um, to go do something else, and um, she had her house burned down not once, but twice. I mean, this is, this is a lot of suffering, and yet in spite of all the odds, like, God used her life tremendously. Actually, we have um, books that were written out of, like, journals that she wrote about parenting and, and prayers that she didn't get to see the result of that, but after her death, all that was published. And, and is um, still in use today. Um, two of her sons, uh, John Wesley, started the greatest church movement of his generation. At the time, Charles Wesley became maybe the most famous hymn writer in, uh, in history, and, and it's because it started with the faithfulness of their mother. And in the middle of the struggle, uh, Susanna said this. She said, I am content to fill a little space if God be glorified. Like, I'm content. God, whatever role you've put me in, um, I don't care what it looks like. I don't, I don't care as long as you are glorified. And so I don't know um, where you're at today. I don't know what you're struggling with. If you're, if you're struggling with a feeling of inadequacy or if you feel like you're stuck in a difficult situation, but when God's glory and his kingdom becomes the focus of our lives, we can know and we can rest.